Welcome to Apply the Word, a podcast of Redeemer Church. Today, March something, 20th, 21st. 25th. 25th. Wow. (laughs) March 25th, we're going to be discussing Benny Phillips, our pastor's message from March 24th, which was yesterday on Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Um, Is a little, you know so that you know exactly where we're at. The first three chapters in Ephesians we were calling the mystery explained and the mystery proclaimed. Now we're going to be getting into the mystery demonstrated. So the application aspect is actually going to come a little more naturally now because that's the way the book works. So we'll also be discussing some of our excellent excellent picks picks. from, from last week when it comes to the NCAA tournament, which I'm sure is the most interesting thing about this. All right, let's go. All right, so I'm your host, Joey Phillips. I'm joined by our pastor, Benny Phillips. We're going to be discussing his message from yesterday, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. But first, we are going to be discussing our picks from last week when it comes to college basketball. In our discussion, we're going to pick that right back up because some things happened. Um, We got the Liberty Mississippi State one right. We got that one right. There was a few we got right, but I want to start with... The incredible game last night between UCF and oh, Duke. Oh, man. Oh, because man. Because that game was, first of all, it was the most fun game yes. in the tournament so far. Yes. And uh, Taco Fall disrupted Duke. He didn't... Zion was the only one who was right. uh, unaffected. Right. He still got his 32. He's going to be... He was affected, though. I mean, his so, game yeah, he changed. His game changed. He still couldn't... He couldn't get inside yeah, yeah. when Taco was in. Yeah, his game. He changed. was un- unaffected in the sense that he still scored thirty-two <laughs> points. He's going to he do that. He still shot above fifty percent. <laughs> he still had the game-changing play at the end. And he's again Zion is Zion, hey, but really he affected everybody so else. That pass on the fast break between oh, yes. those two. Oh yeah, yeah. my goodness! So Man. very devastating. And then Dawkins yeah. played. You know the game of your life up until the end. He had 32. Mm-hmm. So it, I figured I was actually talking with Josh about it before the game. I, UCF's defense was sort of designed a little bit to affect Duke because Duke is a great uh, inside shooting team. Right. They shoot above 50 percent from from two. They're like fourth best in the nation at that. But from three, they're not typically that good. And so I figured yeah. UCF would be able to affect them, which they did on the twos. And they were letting Trey Jones shoot anytime he wanted. He was like right. one for eight from right. three. But Zion and the rest of those guys hit threes. And so they would have still beat UCF pretty significantly if Dawkins had not played out of his mind. Yeah. And he, I mean, I don't know how many fadeaway long twos it Dawkins cr- hit. Yeah, it was crazy. He was hitting threes. It was crazy. Speaking of Dawkins, is UCF's coach the same Dawkins that played at Duke? Yes. yes. Oh, John, that's okay. Johnny Dawkins. Johnny and Dawkins. Then his, yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. his son is the one who... Who played? So that game was incredible. The, the I mean, it had every element. It had yeah. a controversial call with the 
goaltending, which didn't end up, or with the uh, shot, shot clock. clock violation, where you like <laughs> literally <laughs> you half the not people tell. on Twitter were saying it hit the rim, and half the people were saying it did not hit the rim. You no one really knew. couldn't tell. Yeah, no one knew, and the refs admitted we don't know. Right. So we'll just stick with the call. Um, but really, it was that alley oop that would have put him up by six. I know, and slipped right out of his hands. Yeah, that was. We, we I mean, even my my five year old grandson knew at that point yeah. that Duke was gonna win. Yeah. He, he was he was he was well, so when, excited. When they came down to hit the three. So it was the miss yeah. thing, and then they hit the three. It was a he called game it before changer, the three. But, <laughs> but still if uh Taco doesn't foul out at the end of the game, right. they get that rebound. Right. The game's still probably in UCF's hands, but he fouls out. RJ Barrett gives a little bit of a shove, gets that <laughs> offensive rebound, puts it back in, and then man Two shots yeah. at the end that are just rolling right off the front of the rim. I felt bad. I felt well, bad. The, for especially Dawkins. the tap in. I mean, the, the, he he did a great job get, getting extended. Yes, and oh. getting himself in position to get the tap in, and yep. it just wouldn't fall. Yeah, no, it's it was incredibly it's sad, and I think ultimately Jesse's right. That'll it'll. UCF was already rising in the football ranks mm-hmm. to have that sort of high-profile battle with Duke in the tournament right. is probably going to help Dawkins. Dawkins is a good coach, right? and that's going to help him um, with the recruiting. So I'd imagine that things are looking up for their basketball program. Um, but anyway, the great, great game. Another game earlier in the day was Tennessee-Iowa, <laughs> which Josh... Um, was giving me a hard time because we called Tennessee overrated. Right. Which I still had Tennessee making the Elite Eight. So when I said they were overrated, I meant when all the ones and two seeds, I don't see them beating Virginia. I don't see them beating Michigan State or Duke or UNC. They could obviously beat those teams. But I just think there's when it comes to the one and two seeds, they were the the most overrated. With the possible exception of Gonzaga, but Gonzaga's looked great too. Right. Um, So... So Josh was feeling happy when Tennessee was killing Iowa, and I was like, "Ah, that's a ten seed." Like, and then Iowa almost comes back from what twenty five. Well, it was forty, yeah, forty four to nineteen, so twenty five. Yep. And they almost come back, force overtime, and they they just ran out of gas. Yeah, there was nothing left, nothing left. Um, and I don't know if you saw, but Schofield wasn't playing at the end for Tennessee, and they asked Barnes about it after, and he said, "I don't, I don't remember who the kid was playing instead of Schofield, but he said I." Was putting Schofield back in the game. Admiral Schofield, by the way, great yeah. name. Yeah. And he uh, he said, no, keep that other dude's ball and leave him in for now. And so that's why he left him in, and it ended up wow. having an impact on the game. Yeah, so I didn't I, see that interview. I saw that. That was fascinating. But anyway, back to our picks. We did have Liberty. We called that one. Yep. And Auburn, got that right? Y- yeah, you got Auburn right. We'll see if you're right about them beating UNC. Yeah. Speaking of an exciting game. Yeah. I mean, that could be... A 95 yeah. to 91 oh, yeah. battle, yeah. depending on if Auburn can shoot the three. Right. Um, obviously, if Auburn's not hitting the three, USC's was, going to run away I'd from loved, I would love to see Auburn and Wolford play. That would <laughs> Wolford. <laughs> Wolford. That would have been great. Yeah. That, that would have been great. We would It would have been 100 to 105 game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. which could be the UNC game, and there's yeah, the potential true. both with the way that both those teams play for one of them to get up by 18, the other one to come back. It, it could have wild swings, or one of them could just not shoot well, and the other team blow them out. Right. Um, so that that'll be fun. I did call UC Irvine. 
13 seed oh, over Kansas State. Got it. <laughs> so I was happy I about, about that, that one. But I, but I did have Yale winning. Yale did not win. Uh, and I had, who did I have? I had somebody going to the Elite Eight who lost in the first round. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Louisville? No. Who was it? I'm not going to think of it off the yeah, top of my no. head. But I had somebody in the Elite Eight who lost. Oh, maybe it was Wisconsin. What an oh. idiot I was. Yeah. I called the Big Ten overrated, and then I had Wisconsin going to the Elite Eight, <laughs> and they lost in the first round to Oregon by a million points. Yeah. You well, almost and the got whole... UCF right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was – I was – half joking so. <laughs> jesse was the one who actually said yeah, it. jesse and we never know if jesse's half joking about ucf or not he's yeah. very insane when it comes to yes yeah good so what are you thinking for this weekend i have obviously i think duke michigan state are going to end up meeting each other um i i do have unc beating auburn and ending up playing kentucky so i have it from here on i think six of my elite eight teams are left um, and I do think it's going to be sort of chalky the rest of the way. It's been, I mean, it's been a chalky tournament in general. Right, like right. there have not been as many upsets as there were last year. Um, but man, a lot of close calls. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially yesterday. Yesterday was the first yeah. day that was really like, oh man, this is March madness kind right. of, kind right. of thing. But I, I would imagine, I mean, I have Duke and Michigan state, um, playing each other. I have UNC versus Kentucky. I have Virginia versus Tennessee, so those are the three that are still possible games. So I think that's going to happen. I think, you know, those teams will end up meeting on Saturday. No. No? No. Be Auburn against Kentucky. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. Oh, my. So and then, uh, yeah, Virginia. Now, we trashed uh, Bruce Pearl last week. Yes, we did. And, Rightfully uh, so. and it, I did see his interview after game. Did you see that? No. Where he was thanking the Lord and trusting God for the uh, <laughs> for the direction that he's taking the program. And <laughs> I, bet, I bet he is trusting God for the direction he's taking the program. Yeah. He hasn't been arrested yet, uh, so that's good. Yeah, boy. I hope that. I hope it's true. Yeah. No. I mean, he's when it comes to recruiting. Um, we'll see if he can still do it with a lot more scrutiny on him. Yeah. But if he can, then they're going to be good for a while. And that's yeah. fun. But no, I mean, I hope it's true that he's actually a believer and that those, oh, wor- oh, oh, oh. And that those oh. words. Oh, you're talking about the spiritual aspect. Sorry. <laughs> My fault. Speaking right. of that, speaking of that, let's jump in and at least do your summary before we take our break of the message. And then after the break, we'll jump into the application. Yeah. the Like you said, we're starting the, the last half of the series. Um, Going under the title of the mystery demonstrated, the mystery being that the gospel is for uh, both Jew and Gentile, that the uh, wall of partition has been broken down and that God is calling for uh, a new people of God, the church, to emerge and that that's been his plan all along. And so uh, as we begin, the, the first thing he talks about in chapter 4, the first 16 verses is uh, unity and diversity inside did part one of two parts called Unity in Diversity, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, although I did only talk about 1 through 6. Yeah. And, um, and so the idea being that um, our unity is such an important part of God's plan because it demonstrates His character as well. 
right? Our unity and our diversity. Uh, God is one, and yet there is diversity within the Godhead as we see that in the Trinity. And there's a display of the nature and the character of God in our uh, glorifying God and wor uh, working to glorify God in our unity. And I, I used to quote by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones that uh, I, I really do um, think is, is excellent. Um, and it says, um, <laughs> this is the primary objective in God's plan of salvation. Sin is a dis disruptive force. Sin always divides. It always separates. It splinters. The unity in Christ between Jew and Gentile is the mystery which has now been revealed. This unity is God's grand design. It is what displays God's glory above all else. And so hmm. I want us to talk about uh, how it does, in fact, display God's glory. Yeah, that, that'll be good, and we'll get into the, the primacy of love and how unity works yes. uh, when we get back. I did think it's interesting, unity... Um, a lot like the Bible talks about our salvation is we should be working towards something we already have. Unity right. was purchased for us. Right. We are unified as believers. And so work that out. Yes. A lot like he's, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation has been achieved by Christ, but right. we still work out that salvation. Yes. Unity is the same way. And so it's going to be yeah, yeah, fun to talk about what that looks like. Every effort. It's one of the two or three times that he uses that phrase, make every effort. Yep. So, All right, we'll be back in just a second. So Redeemer Church has had an incredible opportunity to be involved in a safe house for sex-trafficked women. Um, and my mother, whose name is Sheree, is here to talk a little bit about that. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about this. I am stoked about this. We are partnering with a couple of other churches in the area at Letitia's house here in Orlando. And we got our first resident walk through the doors about a month ago, Joey. And I got to be there to say welcome home. Uh, to We call her L. That's her, her first initial. And to see the look on her face when she walked into that house. Uh, was just, it was, I can't explain what I felt in that moment. It's amazing. Amazing. So Letitia's house is a place where women who have been uh, hum humans, who it's, it's, it's a form of human slavery in our culture today, can come and not only receive counseling and art therapy, they can receive GED or other education milestone training. Uh, volunteers who are teaching, Elle, for example, how to cook. They do uh, flower arranging with her. They do Bible study where she's able to understand how God can give her hope and healing so that she can walk into a future that's not only absent of abuse, but that, that can, she can become free from the shame Right. that has captivated and held her uh, through her human trafficking experience. If someone's listening to this and they, they love what they're hearing and they want to be involved, what are some ways that they can be involved? How can they donate? Is there a way that they could uh, 
help serve at the house? Oh, absolutely. Letitia's house is over 90% volunteer-based. So the success of this amazing ministry is dependent on people in the community saying, what can I do? Can I help in practical ways? We need people who will come in and fix a faucet or help with lawn care, but we also need people who will come in and have a, a movie night on Friday night, bring their, cu- their their family or come as a couple or as an individual and just um, sit with our residents and have pizza and watch a movie together or people who might be interested in doing a cooking class or, or teaching uh, the ladies how to paint on canvas or just honestly, when I, when I talked to Elle recently and I asked her, okay, what, what's the most meaningful aspect? I didn't know what she would say. And she said, honestly, Cherie, what's most meaningful for me that people care enough about me that they want to come over and hang out with me. Hmm. So we're looking for volunteers who can help in any number of ways. If you have a passion or a gift or a strength and you think, I wonder if Letitia's house could could use my volunteer hours, please call us or contact us at um, letitiashouse.com and let us know what you'd like to do. And, and let's see if we can make it work that you can make an impact on these ladies. That's great. What an incredible opportunity. All right, so I think first first thing I wanted to ask you, um, looking at your outline when you, you were talking about some of the necessary ingredients to maintaining and pursuing unity, um, the one that jumps out always to me is humility. Uh, you had humility, gentleness, patience. All these things are mentioned because they're all important. Right. But it seems to me that humility is the most difficult one to achieve sometimes and is sort of the base character quality needed to achieve unity because um nothing divides like arrogance and pride right and it's it is so so important well humility is the chief christian virtue in a lot of ways i mean obviously love in the sense of uh how we are to conduct ourselves but humility in terms of the internal uh view of yourself right you know there's there's the need for us to have a right perspective on who we are and we can't do that without humility and that and that it's so important in so many areas but in terms of unity it really does um, come to the fore because you you're talking about the ability to uh, take your agenda your views uh, even your pet doctrines and right. say you know what i'm not going to let these things drive me in such a way that that I overreact, that I get um, <clears throat> so protective that I can't uh, love others, I can't work with others, and, right. and that it is a hard thing to to kind of um, settle yourself, if you will. Right. You know, when when things happen, and and that's where the application comes in because it's it's one thing to understand intellectually we should be humble. Right. It's another thing when actually you're in disagreement with somebody or you have something you really want to achieve or do. Right. That bumps up against what somebody else wants to achieve or do. Right. 
to have the humility to approach that situation um, in a unifying way rather than a a way that uh, puts the primacy on your own perspective yeah. and desire. And it, because it is important in our maintaining the unity to make sure that we're not sacrificing the truth, that we're right. not sacrificing doctrine. Yet at the same time, you know, Ephesians really is challenging uh, to understand in many ways. And we have to be circumspect when we look at it because it's like, you know what, it, um, it, I might be wrong. Right. You know, I mean, not certain things I wouldn't worry about that in terms of particularly the content of the gospel. But, you know, when it comes to our understanding of how sovereignty and human responsibility work together, we do have to be careful, particularly as those who are Reformed. We, we are so certain right. of the primacy of grace over all things that sometimes our application we can be as sure of right. and we get ourselves in trouble. Yes, and our and the way that we communicate it, there's not the humility yes. that goes along with That's it right. at times. That's right. Um, which, again, you can be the most um, sure reformed person in the world and still be humble in the way that you communicate it right. and humble in disagreement. Right. Like you, there is, it is possible mm -hmm. to strenuously disagree with somebody right. with humility. Right. And that, I think sometimes that gets lost. Yes. Sticking with the humility thing, do you have any great, hilarious examples of things that have divided churches that are just petty? Because oh, you gosh. briefly mentioned in the message that that happens, and it was an, obviously it's an aside because it wasn't important to get into, but it, I listened and I was like, I bet he had some stories of oh, yeah. the most oh, yeah. absurd things. Well, again, you got to remember we're divisive. that I grew up Baptist, okay. and, yeah. and, so, and I grew up Southern Baptist in the South. And so um, there were some very sad things that divided people, mm -hmm. like race. Yeah. Uh, but there were also really, really silly things. And people, people uh, think that when, when uh, pastors use the illustration of churches dividing over the color of the carpet, that they're joking. <laughs> okay? They're not. Okay, I, it, it actually, when I was, I guess I had to be, it was before I was nine because we were still in Alabama. Okay. And I remember uh, my father helped start a Southern Baptist church there in Huntsville, and they were finishing the building, and I mean, it was all out war about the color of the carpet. And I don't remember if a, actually another church spun off or not, but it was the kind of arguing that it was the kind of arguing that I wouldn't be surprised if there was now an, another church that, that uh, spun off of, of that particular church. That is incredible. Yeah. And <laughs> humility, it's important. Yeah, it really is um, important. That is incredible. So and the other... Uh, ones you mentioned, patience, gentleness, also obviously very important. Practically, is there anything from an application standpoint, cultivating a heart of humility? I mean, books are written all the time right. about that right. because that's so, again, essential to who we are as Christians. And it's so uh, important to everything we do. And it's destructive when it's not there. There's a lot um, out there, a lot of good books about that. Uh, what's the one, the Puritan book on humility that you and mom highly recommend all the time 
Um, oh, is it just called humility? I think it's yeah. I'm I'm can't I'm I'm not going to be able to get okay. the title. Uh, maybe. maybe we'll put it in the notes. But, yeah, yeah. Um, there yeah. There's excellent works out yes, there yes. for that, and the practical application flows naturally from that. A, a heart that's truly humble again, is not going to get into an argument about the color of a carpet right. um, to the degree that it's actually divisive, nor is it going to get into an argument about um, issues of grace without maintaining humility. Right. Um, I mean, I think one of the applications is to find, find a way to um, <clears throat> work with others even though you know there is not unity on certain things. Right. And, and go into relationships knowing that I'm going to have to be prepared to push through something that you know, we may get into a discussion about. And, I, and I've seen that now. From a pastor's perspective, the application is a little bit clearer because I know I'm going to be working with other pastors and that there's, I'm going to face those things and I'm right, going to be right. prepared for it. But as members of the church, you're going to be faced with folks, even in your church, that aren't going to think the way you do about right. things, whether it be you know, motherhood, parenting, um, you know, uh, how to even... You know, the, the Worship the style. Worship styles, yeah, yeah, yeah those kinds kind of, of things. And you've got to be prepared to make sure that you... You can communicate what you you know what you think and how you believe without alienating others. And boy, we just don't live in an age where where people think that way. Right. And being willing to work with folks, um, to serve with folks. Yes. When you know you're not going to agree with them on everything, um, and going into even pursuing relationships where you know right. this is not going right. to be somebody that we agree on everything. But we can serve the Lord together. Right. Um, that is, the, you know, it shows a heart of humility. It will also help you cultivate further humility um, because if you approach it from, I already know that this is not going to be the type of relationship where, because we do, we have a tendency, we want relationships to be easy. Right. And we want them to be comfortable and right. we want them to, uh, we want to all believe the same thing. It just makes everything easier. It is much more difficult to maintain humility in a relationship where that's not the case. Right. And so a lot of times we shy away from it altogether when it actually could be the thing the Lord uses to develop humility in us. Well, and I think that's why God calls us to uh, focus on being ethnically diverse in our churches, because I think there's no better way. And I mean, obviously, Paul's dealing with that earlier in Ephesians. In Ephesians, yeah. And, and there's no better way to demonstrate humility and unity in being able to work with those who uh, have come from different backgrounds. Right. And are going to have different preferences on... And are going to think about fundamental things differently right. than yep. you do. And, and I think that is so crucial. You know? Which we're, we'll get into in more depth later in the book. Yes. Um, yes. We're, the we're focusing on the unity part currently. We are going to start focusing on the diversity part soon. Yeah. Which is going to be really good. I did want to before we, as we wrap up, I guess um, you had mentioned one um, thing from like an ecumenical perspective. Right. This chapter is used all kinds of different ways right. when it comes to should there even be as many denominations as there are? Isn't that a sign of right. you know? Uh, divisiveness 
Um, shouldn't we all be one big happy family? So in your life, how have you applied this to how you work with other churches? How should we apply this to how we work with other churches um, on an issue? On Do we apply it just to issues like you mentioned, the lowest common denominator type things like abortion? Like, I, of course, I'm going to be able to work with my Catholic brothers right. on that, but right. I'm not Catholic. Like, So there are issues we can work on together. Is that just how you apply it? There are issues we can be unified on. Uh, but other than that, we just go our separate ways. Like, how have you thought about this from that perspective? Well, I mean, it's not easy to to work through when you feel strongly about, like, for instance, the sovereignty of God and the implications on how you preach the gospel. Right. And then you're working with someone who doesn't have as robust a view of the sovereignty of God as you think they should, and they're they're more Arminian or flat out Arminian. In the way that they, God forbid, yeah, that they <laughs> that they view things, and and I mean, I'm I'm currently working with folks in in a right. uh, a mercy ministry that that would feel that way, and yet very good friends, and and you know there are there is so much that we agree on, right, and to focus on the things that we do agree on, and I mean, I, there was a in in Fairfax, there was a guy on staff. Uh, with me, uh, who um, really was not um, <clears throat> fully reformed, you know, in the st- strongest sense of the word. Uh, wait, wait, who are we talking about here? <laughs> I want to know. Vince? Is it Vince? It, no, it was not Vince. Uh, uh, but um, <clears throat> this particular worship leader was a uh, very okay. good uh, friend, and we had been, you know, friends for years. And it worked because he had the humility to uh, be willing to follow me in my fully, you know, five-point Calvinism. Right. And, and, and <clears throat> we would regularly argue and, and about, you know, what uh, foreknowledge actually meant and right, you know, right. those kinds of things. But yet we were able to serve together in that church because of his humility. Um, so I think there are ways to do this if you are humble, and yet, and he wasn't, you know, undermining you to no, the church. Like no, I'm sure no. he would answer honestly when people asked him, but he wasn't going around saying, "Actually, you guys should probably believe me on this one." Right. Um, he worked with you in the sense that he, right? He, again, he'd be honest, but he also wasn't going to make it a deal, right? Um, and try to, you know, you're leading the church one way, eh, let me pull him back the other way, and right? That type of humility is pretty rare, particularly on that kind of an issue. Like, yeah, um, that that demonstrates quite a bit of humility. I think. Yeah, yeah, and he would and he would not uh, argue every point. Right, he was willing to. That's not you know. It was only when I would make really strong <laughs> uh, points that right. that that uh, particularly about election. Right, election's always the yeah. one that gets everybody. Yes. you know. And so that that would, but he just, he was a humble man. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a fun conversation. Um, next week, we will be back uh, going further into this same issue, part two, I would imagine. Um, diversity. And then, yeah. And it'll be more of a focus on diversity. Um, and then the Particularly week, of gifts. Yes. Diversity of gifts. Diversity. Because you're going you're gonna to do more of the ethnic thing the week following. Right. So uh, stick with us. Um, 
and we will see you next Monday.